So, Dr. Stanford, during your career working in sports medicine, how familiar are you with concussion-related injuries? All right, so that's that's a really good question. Um, as an athlete trainer, man, we are uh, extensively training in, in concussion recognition, management, the works. It's um, and, and oftentimes we're the first people to see someone with a concussion. So if I'm on uh, sidelines of football field. I'm always watching and I'm always looking at people's eyes. If you watch me walk up and down the sidelines, I'm looking at their eyes to see how are they feeling because the eyes can tell you a lot. Yeah. But uh, oftentimes I'm the first healthcare professional that will see or recognize a concussion and I can be able to pull that person out of harm's way, get them off the field, evaluate them on the spot, and then make a decision, okay, is it safe enough for this person to go back in or not? Because you have to think about the person, if they are concussed, they're not thinking clearly. So yeah. you have to think clearly for them. Uh, so as far as education, it's built into our uh, education from the ground up. Um, we're looking at everything from uh, recognition, signs and symptoms, how to treat it, how to manage it, and how do you return somebody back to play in the appropriate way. So uh, even after I graduated, going into my job when I was working in Virginia, we had extensive training over and over and over. It's because that was at the time when concussions first started coming to be a big deal and it was a big conversation. So we probably had hundreds of hours of just continuing education. We would have Dr. Joya, Dr. Um, a couple of the other guys I'm blanking on. Um, Dr. Cantu, uh, those are some of the biggest names in concussion uh, research, would come down and talk to us directly about how do we manage this. Right. So we actually redefined the concussion uh, definition a few years ago. Uh, I would say probably yeah. 10, 15 years ago. So what we consider now a concussion may not have been considered a concussion mm -hmm. 20 years ago. Yeah, there's a lot of new research going into the topic. Tons and tons and tons. So, um, what does the treatment process specifically look like for a concussion? That's, that's a good question. So it varies from person to person depending on you know, who they are. Do they have any history of concussion? Do they have history of other things in the brain that could cause uh, a chemical imbalance? Um, before I talk about treatment, let's talk about kind of what concussion is. It's not a physical issue with the brain. So you're not going to see a bruising, you're not going to see swelling. If you take an MRI of a concussion, you're not going to see anything on the MRI. It actually comes back clean. Yeah. What a concussion is, is a uh, chemical imbalance in the brain. So I think uh, if you know anything about how nerves work, which you should, um, it's electrical down this nerve cell, and then when it gets to that synaptic end, remember it mm -hmm. sends those neurotransmitters across that snaps. Right and it's picked up on the other side. So that's a chemical that goes across. Well, in the concussion, if you take the brain, which is a big sponge of all these nerves, and you quickly squeeze it, these neurotransmitters get thrown out into the space. So now we're getting all these crazy signals happening in the brain, and your brain's like, I don't understand what's happening, and it kind of goes crazy. Yeah. That's essentially what's happening in the concussion. Interesting. So it takes a lot of energy your brain to reabsorb all those neurotransmitters back into the cell and get mm. things back to the way they're supposed to be. Mm. So you run out of energy really quickly. So what do we do with someone who has a concussion? Well, rest is key. Huge. Right. 
So you'll notice that somebody will they'll wake up in the day and they'll feel pretty good most of the day. And as the day goes on and as they're taxing their brain, they'll run out of energy really quickly. You know, you get it halfway, to, halfway through your day and you're just crashing. Right. Uh, you get the headaches, you get the blurry vision, you get all those cross signals. So that's essentially what you're doing. So you're allowing that person to rest. You're taking away anything that would cause a trigger. So say bright lights was a trigger, we would keep you out of the bright lights. We'd have you wear sunglasses. Cell phones, would that count as a... That could be. So if, okay. you're, if you're telling me every time I get on my cell phone or if that bright light's in my face, it causes my headache to get worse, I know we need to pull that away. Right. But on the flip side, if you can do that and it causes no symptoms, there's no reason to take that away. Mm-hmm. We used to take people and put them in a dark room and say, you gotta stay there until you feel better. And that's not the case no more. Right. We only look about what is your trigger, what is your problem, and then we try to figure out ways around that. Okay. Uh, and then we keep you, at the, during that process, we just keep you there until you feel better. And when your symptoms are absolutely nothing and you feel like a normal you, then we'll start to test you from a physical standpoint to make sure nothing's coming back. Mm-hmm. And then we put you through your return to play. Interesting. So that's really treatment and pro- protocol. Awesome. That's good to know. So um, what's the relationship between a concussion and long-term brain damage? We might know like short-term, the short side effects you get within a week right after mm-hmm. a concussion. But long-term, is there anything significant we should know about? In most cases, now I'm speaking from my knowledge of the research now, as we know, everything changes pretty rapidly. But from my knowledge right now, there's not a whole lot of evidence to say if you have a a concussion that you're going to have necessarily long-term damage. Now, there are those cases where someone has had a concussion and those symptoms may last a year or more. Those are rare. We call those protracted cases. and just meaning they have uh, post-concussion syndrome is another one they use. Right. Meaning they have symptoms after their concussion. It's just never going away. Okay. So those are complicated issues that need to see a specialist. Those are rare, but they do happen. Okay. Now, for the most part, for your general athlete or, or patient, if they have a concussion, usually you're going to see that start to resolve within a two to three weeks, give or take. It could go longer, it could go shorter, depending on how severe the brain was impacted, where the brain was impacted, and how that person is treating themselves. So if they're trying to push through a lot of symptoms, they're not gonna recover quickly as someone who's taking care of themselves. But uh, if you fully heal from a concussion, and truly fully heal, and go through all your return to play, and nothing is there, and you completely heal, and then say six weeks from then you actually get another concussion and they're not related, that's not a good situation, but it's not terrible. The problem where long-term situation comes in is that they don't fully heal and that first concussion overlaps the second concussion and then you overlap again. So think about cases where undiagnosed concussion in the NFL, where these guys have to play, they have to practice, this is their job but they don't allow the brain to fully heal and they take another hit, they're just lowering their baseline down and down and down. And then the, 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 the next thing the brain does is just, it's a cascade of events. And yes, there can be some severe long-term uh, damage to the brain, right. uh, even death. Uh, you can die from these things. Wow, that's horrible. Especially if you have someone who has a pretty significant concussion, goes undiagnosed and they take another big hit on top of that, uh-huh. that can be death. 
Um, that's when we're so on top of this, looking for symptoms, encouraging people to report them when they see that. If you see a teammate that's not feeling so good or just not themselves, report that because that could be the difference for them. Yeah, it makes sense why you hear about it in professional sports so often because they're constantly getting concussions and not recovering the right way. Right. They, they either are not reporting or they did report it and maybe their symptoms are still lingering and they don't catch that. Right. That's when we do a lot of neurocognitive testing like sway or uh, impact testing because that can look into the brain where I can't normally see. Exactly see yeah. Interesting. So, um, we know the symptoms from a concussion, but what are ways we can move forward in trying to avoid concussions from taking place in the first place? So prevention's a hot topic. There's a lot of gimmicks out there. There's a lot of companies that try to sell you products to say, guarantee to prevent concussion. Um, a lot of helmets and things like that. And the technology is getting better with force absorption with helmets. Yeah. But if you think about this, your brain is free-floating within your skull. And all you're doing is putting a big helmet on top of it, but you can still get a concussion through that. Well, why? Because the brain is still free-floating in there. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the blunt force that's causing it. It's the sudden acceleration and stop. So think about this. This is the head, uh-huh. and you take it, or you're moving, so you're running, right. and all of a sudden somebody hits you here. So that's a sudden change in direction. The brain is going to slam into the front of the skull and then into the back of the skull. Doesn't matter how much helmet you have on it, your brain's still going to move around in there. And that's how a concussion happens, even with a helmet. Now, if we can slow down the force or change in direction, so if I'm going this way and somebody hits me, and I can slow down that impact with padding, there's less likely of that happening. So it's less likely to, it's, it's not the helmet necessarily that's a problem, it's the technique of tackling, say in football, you don't want to necessarily find ways to go away from uh, head-to-head contact, more like exactly. wrapping up, stuff like that. Yep, if you can avoid the contact, work on your technique, mm-hmm. heads up football, see what you hit, okay. that's all going to reduce your risk. If you're going in with the crown of your head, you can guarantee you're either going to get a concussion or a spinal injury. So we got to be careful about that. There is a lot of talk and research on neck strength. Okay, so if you, if I get hit with a soccer ball from the side of the head, do I have enough neck strength to withstand that? Or is my head going to whiplash because I can't withstand that force? So there's a lot of research and a lot of look at what does neck strength do for concussions. Mm, I never thought about that. You'll see some stuff out there on mouthpieces and the absorption of force uh, a lot of that stuff has been refuted at this point. There's not a lot of strong correlation saying that mouthpieces will help with the uh, mm-hmm. concussion piece unless you're taking the hit from the chin and then there's some sh- shock absorption, yeah. absorption there. That makes sense. But other than that, um, you know, prevention's tough. You gotta look at technique. Uh-huh. You gotta mitigate that risk and um, yeah. watch for the symptoms. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I learned a lot. I cool. appreciate it a lot. This is Ashton signing off.